This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Relish. Lays it off, lovely give and go, Jack Grealish, he'll carry it forward, Grealish might go all the way, still Grealish, El Mohamedy coming in, cuts it back, Grealish! Better have done it again, it's Grealish this time! When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you, it's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. And joining me, part of the trio of the new trainers that uh, Villa now get down to Bodymore Heath a couple of days before they play a game just to fine-tune things, Dan Rogers from the TheVillaUnderground.com and Chris Budd. Hello. Hello. Hello, fine people. Well, those last 15 minutes of that training session at Bodymore on Thursday, when they gathered round and they came up to us and, and that wisdom that we departed to them regarding what they should be doing if they find themselves level going into injury time or playing with 10 men, certainly paid off it was it was beautiful to watch it all unfold in reality so uh, I, I mean we sh- should we really take credit for that I yeah know, you, you are welcome i think so <laughs> i mean i I'm very very pleased to say that automatic promotion is still on mathematically i've uh, as i said in the uh, the short pod that went out i think to the patrons we debriefed on our on our trip on the the My Old Man Said bonus patron extra. It was one of the highlights where Dan went up to Dean Smith and told him that automatic promotion was still on and and tried to convince him. I mean, Smith he was desperately trying to get away from me the whole time, and it, it was it was like somebody had escaped from the local asylum and was automatic still on. It's still on. Believe me. I showed Dean. him the spreadsheets. He couldn't deny it. And uh, I mean, whilst he was running and and there was security staff pulling me away, um, he he did admit that they will try and do it. So I don't see what the well, Leeds did lose. 
He looked quite relieved to have Tyrone Mings between the pair of you. Yeah. <laughs> I did ask uh, I did ask Tyrone that uh, well I told uh, for the selfie that I managed to get that he needed to get on t- on his knees next to me which he found amusing. I don't <laughs> quite uh, I didn't see the funny side <laughs> particularly. <laughs> well, actually there was a few innuendos in uh, in that bonus podcast. Just a well. few. Just just a few. <laughs> We, we were high on life. We'd just come back from Bodymore. Did you enjoy yourself, gentlemen? Very much so. Dan's not committing an answer to that. Well, I, I, <laughs> Dan, Dan's day was ruined by the weather. It was fucking freezing outside. Let's not... Beat around the bush to get another innuendo in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the end of the world outside, and I, I, wasn't, in my, I wasn't at my best when... Um, Trying to wrap my arms around Jack Grealish, and I'd just come from a we'd just come from the the lovely warm pool area, so that it was very strange. It was like going from uh, I don't know tropical climates. <laughs> yeah, the only way you can describe it in weather terms is it was like going from Villa Park to St Andrews. It's a shame. It's a shame we didn't get a, a few hours in the cryogenic chamber or whatever it's called. I know. I wanted to see who they were keeping in there. One hundred and sixty degrees below freezing. You know, Miko Richards been living in there for uh, the inside. last the last season or so. Anyway, if you're a, a patron and haven't listened to that show, I'd give it a quick spin. It's up there and waiting for your ears. Right. Uh, in this show, we will discuss the injury time drama at Sheffield Wednesday. What a, what a result! <laughs> We will be looking back on the craziness at the New York Stadium when Villa, with 10 men, managed to overcome Rotherham after the whole uh, playoff picture started to look a bit shady. Uh, We'll also uh, get into the three points where we talk about uh, semi-final attendances. We look at uh, more uh, media faux pas and also uh, the new game of clickbait tennis, which seems to have sprouted up in local newspapers. And we have, and it's always the most eager awaited part of the show the scott hogan touch count meter and then we'll finish the show by looking at the latest developments in the playoff picture right three points who's going number one Is it me point first n- yeah mr bird go for it so point number one of course it was fa cup semi-final weekend with the plastic supporters of manchester city against brighton the Dogheads against the hornets in the second semi-final and uh, i think the theme of both games was uh, a rather soulless atmosphere in a mass of empty seats i thought wolves watford was reasonably attended was it not not too bad the manchester city one was poor Twenty thousand um, empty seats for a start. So they weren't just plastic fans; they were plastic seats. Twenty thousand plastic seats staring back at the pitch. Bearing in mind, Manchester City gave away hundreds of seats. Well, mm. Raheem Sterling got five hundred, didn't he? Just for school kids alone. Did he? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question is obviously it, it raised up the uh, debate about uh, should semi-finals be played at Wembley and also uh, Wembley was losing its luster just by doing the semi-finals but now you know now that Spurs had spent a season season plus playing at their home games there it just kind of ruined it as a uh, as a venue of prestige. Do you think on the other side of the coin now actually that that grounds like Spurs open up the debate that you should be taking the semi-finals back out to? uh, Oh yeah no totally I think I mean you, you put Manchester City against Brighton in, and I'm sure Brighton fans won't really want to travel up to Birmingham, but uh, at Villa Park, and it's, it's kind of a neutral mm. game. It's going to be a full house. And also for those Manchester City fans who have been winning everything and travelling to Wembley every other week, uh, it at least provides a bit of novelty to the game because they'll be playing it at a neutral ground as opposed to another trip to Wembley. Because obviously they've just been there for the League Cup final and they're looking at 
you know they should walk through Brighton mm. so we'll you know we'll save our save our trip there for the final and because obviously they've got to play they've got to go to Spurs as well mm. in that you know so you can understand I mean you know you can call them soulless and all that kind of stuff but you can understand I think they had something like they have something like four London based trips in in a very short space of time and on a purely economic basis that's that's a significant commitment for any fan. I remember when Villa I remember when Villa used to get in many Wembley. years ago we used to get into Wembley every you know every other week uh, we'd just played Manchester United in the uh, the league cup and then we had to play Chelsea in the semi mm. and they actually reduced the price to 20 quid mm. just to just to mm. coax us down there again it's an expensive day, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that was the main argument that came out of this was the prices uh, that Manchester City fans essentially just turned their nose up at. And, you know, I think even when, when Villa were there, it was it's, it's a piss take, the prices. Yeah. I remember those final prices, complete piss take. Especially when there's so many Club Wembley seats available. Mm. You know, yeah. They don't open those up particularly. I think Wolves managed to have quite a few in there. But, um, you, know, it was, you know, for instance, when we had the playoff final, they opened up the whole of the end, which, yeah. which makes for a better atmosphere. Because, of course, you know, it, if it gets split, it just ruins the atmosphere. Because a couple of seasons ago, I went to see both semi-finals, uh, Watford versus Crystal Palace and Manchester United-Everton. And, you know, both were packed and both were really good at atmospheres, especially the uh, Palace-Watford uh, game. But I still think, I mean, personally, I think it should be neutral grounds and uh, go from especially, there. Especially now, I think, when you've got so many good neutral grounds and big ones yeah. as well. Many increasingly bigger than Villa Park, but uh, we'll get we'll get on to that uh, hopefully next season when we're in the Premier League. Right, point number two. This is like a reoccurring theme, really. Uh, Ex-footballers, managers of a certain age getting tripped up by what they say. Gordon Strachan uh, had to recently apologise for the unintended distress caused when he uh, made comments about uh, the release of Adam Johnson. Basically, they were talking about if Adam Johnson came back and started playing and he compared the potential criticism that Johnson would get with racial abuse. He had said, if he goes on the pitch and people start calling him names, have we got to do the same as it is to the racist situation? In a statement, Strachan acknowledged an imprecise use of language. And I think that's pretty much what he, you know, that mm. hits, hits the nail on the head, really. It, imprecise use of language i mean now he's like you know sky have said they're ne- never going to use him again on the d- debate show i don't know if that's going to have knock-on effects for his other pundit appearances on talk sport etc but i mean you need a bit of common sense but there's, there's always this social media outrage that kicks in and they want people cancelled mm. and in this case i think it was you know you, you're live on tv you're talking or even on recorded tv when they're recording a show and it sometimes your head's just throwing out things there to cover whatever you're talking about, and I think he, there's no intent there. Mm. People have got to, you know, cut some slack before this outrage. But uh, I don't think Adam Johnson will be playing football anytime soon. I mean, he'll have massive cojones if he does. But who's going to employ him? I can't can't really see it. Well, he'll end up at the Blues, won't he? That's the, that's how these things <laughs> pan out normally. I mean, <laughs> isn't, that, yeah, no. isn't that the narrative? <laughs> 
All right, moving on to point number three. Uh, speaking of outrage. Outrage. That's clickbait tennis. So this was a, an article that appeared a couple of days before Villa headed to, to Sheffield, and it was a, a very biased, very defensive article around Steve Bruce written by uh, Alan Biggs of, uh, of the Star, the Sheffield Star, which is the local, I suppose, Birmingham male equivalent in those parts. And what it reads like is, it's quite clever, really, because I, I think it stoked up any Villa fan who would read it because it refers to Villa as having shamefully abused uh, Bruce. And actually, when when the narrative was that, I think people fell out of love with Bruce over a, over a long period of time, really. And, uh, uh, you know, these veiled connections to abuse as a result of, without factoring things such as the, the passing of both of his parents. The, the thing that's particularly interesting to me is how the local press picked up on it so quickly and got a got someone uh, to the press conferences and stuff in in Sheffield where ordinarily they don't it just feels a bit a bit manufactured so what you're saying is uh, in a nutshell is it's like a viral article that it's written to be shared to create outrage I don't for one second think that Alan Biggs meant half of the things that he put in there. I think that they just, they, they, they encourage clicks, they encourage shares. And I think that there's a, my view personally is that, that there's a, I don't want to say there's an agenda amongst journalists to, to, I don't know, rile up supporters, but I think there's a, I think it's, it's to rile them up enough to make them click. I mean, it's basically, they're trying to write viral articles. And so obviously, as, as you were just saying, uh, it creates a situation where suddenly the Birmingham Mail writes a response to, uh, without mentioning the, the journalist's name or, or trying to get personal. And you would mention his name if you were kind of attacking it back mm. in real. And it's almost, as we said, it's like clickbait tennis. They're both doing it on purpose with this kind of, even if it's not even conscious, if it's subconscious, it's still, uh, it's the intent of basically just creating clicks and taking readers for a ride. Mm. And actually, it's led a bollocks. It's worthless I mean, journalism, in my view. It's worthless. And this is this is the uh, the sad thing. Absolutely. And you, know, you, and you see how the, you know, the Birmingham Mail frames its own content where you've got their social media twitter saying you know to to a link and an article about bruce saying steve bruce is talking about aston villa and then in capitals again dun 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 this is up there with that tyrone mings is furious and it connects to an article where they actually sent and they don't normally do this they sent a journalist to the opposition sheffield wednesday's press conference so a Birmingham journalist went up to Sheffield. He's, he's going there to ask him questions about Aston Villa. So, it's, I mean, it's just hilarious and it's low frequency stuff. Just the way they frame it is just makes it ridiculous. They're just trying to create fake outrage. Well, you know, it's all about engagement and, and, and the old click, but the. the... But not engagement in a good way. No, but the, the the thing that makes me just sort of scratch my head really is these are local journalists who, for, for months and months and months, didn't once ask a, a hard question of Bruce. They didn't yeah. hold him to account. And it was only towards the very end that when the writing was on the wall. They were guaranteeing that Bruce would lead us to promotion. They, yeah, exactly. They, they questioned that, and that would be the And that would be the headline of some of their opinion pieces. And these were the same people, by the way, the alleged journalists. I mean, there can't be an investigative one amongst them because they allowed Dr. Tony and company to yeah. bring the club to its knees. I mean, it makes the non-reporting on Bruce whilst he was the club seem pretty, pretty low level, really. Yeah. But meanwhile, my old man said was writing articles about uh, Dr. Tony and uh, before he uh, came on board mm. and casting the nets over what potentially were the motivations and, you know, how, what 
the reasons were. And uh, of course, and that's just like caring about the club and just thinking, hang on a minute, before you all start masturbating over his, <laughs> uh, his, his Twitter emojis, why don't let's scratch below the veneer. But this is but this is what local press should be doing. But because they're not doing it, that's why it's important to get behind good independent football coverage. And you know, this is why we have my old man said patrons because they allow they allow us to actually do something. And because it's, I mean, bottom line is it's not worth me writing on my blog because it the advertising is it's a waste of time. Most of people use you know ad blockers, and you just don't get anything from it. And it's so swamped with clickbait that you just get lost anyway. So uh, please do become a, a My Old Man Said uh, patron. And sorry, a big thanks to the wonderful people who signed up in the last week. Uh, Alex Moland, Alec Beach, Adam Treadaway, Jonathan Mulhern, and also thanks to Sean Pitt for upgrading. And also this week, uh, I will be starting properly the uh, My Old Man Said Facebook supporters, which is uh, another way to uh, support us. Now the Facebook supporters will also be privy to uh, the bonus podcasts as well. So uh, take a look on Facebook and also go to myomansaid.com and check out the patron option and please do support us and help us fight this clickbait war. Right, now on to the, the only part of the show that people really tune in to, and that's the Scott Hogan touch count meter. Sheffield United were playing Preston after being humbled by um, on their own patch against Bristol City 3-2. Preston obviously were one of the one of the teams of this year in terms of form and made a late charge at the playoffs. And a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking they might be somebody that might uh, be a contender that, to uh, balls up Villa's uh, attempts. But uh, they've started to hit this, the treacle in terms of their charge up uh, the league. And Sheffield United, despite being away, beat them 1-0. And Scott Hogan came on for Billy Sharp in the 83rd minute. So the question is to you, who's going to go first? I think it's Dan's time to go first this time. In seven minutes plus injury time, and I can't tell you how much injury time there was. Mm. I, I, I do not have that information. but You're withholding that information from me. Let's say three minutes. So he's got 10 minutes. Mm. How many touches did Scott Hogan have? <laughs> is it wrong? The first figure that came to my head was, is it possible to have zero? Is it possible? Um, three. Mr. Bud, four. <gasps> oh, Mr. Bud wins no! again. Two for two. Come on. <laughs> it was five. Oh, that's, unrealist- that's unreasonably high for Scott Hogan in that time frame. Five touches in ten minutes. That's bonkers. What's he doing? He needs to be tested. I think Codger came on and he had ten minutes or there or thereabouts and he managed about 15 well done for slipping the there or thereabouts in. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Other comparisons, uh, Billy Sharp. Although this is, I mean, this is kind of interesting because Billy Sharp in 83 minutes, the player that Hogan took over from, only had 19 touches. So that would, Hogan's well up on that at least. Move on, this and, is a uh, fix. Tammy Abraham uh, in Villa's game against Sheffield Wednesday had 32 touches as well, just to give you a bit of context. But Hogan, I mean, have we not? I mean, if this was a a university master's thesis, I think we've already compiled enough evidence to to suggest that Hogan doesn't really get involved in football matches. He's in the wrong (laughs) profession. If this was a court case, if this was a court case, we the the judge would have said. You've already won, so let's not go on. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to this Wednesday game that Scott Hogan didn't play in because he was too busy with uh, the other Sheffield's uh, team. Bruce saw the game. Did he see it differently than we did at the end? He does, he does traditionally. Yes. 
I mean, I, I did like his quote, uh, Steve Bruce's quote, when he was talking about the second half, which I, I would agree that Sheffield Wednesday bossed up to a point when he said if anybody was going to win it, then it was ourselves, probably their only attack in the second half, and they've scored a goal. Scored two. We had now, more than we had three attacks, Steve. Now, what I'm saying, I'm th- I'm thinking that Bruce left after a Domar's goal. Yeah, he binned it off, didn't he? Walked out in absolute but, disgust. Fuck this, and never <laughs> doesn't even know it's three one. He just thinks it's two one. <laughs> he just he just walked out to a chorus of Brucey, what's the score? You know, unless he can't count, that's the only other option on that. Uh... One. Mm. Uh, anything else that he said that kind of takes your fancy? He said something about blowing us away. Yeah, he said, "Oh, yeah, we we uh, we we we, we, we could have blown him away." Well, Steve, you didn't. You were there or thereabouts, but not quite there. It was. It could have been any press no conference that we've we we heard time and time again after a. Well, it's funny you say that because did Ipswich beat Bolton, didn't they? And and I just saw the pullout quotes of what Lambert said, and he said, "We were brilliant. We were really excellent." Uh... <laughs> and it's like yeah, I've heard that before somewhere. <laughs> after the eight nil defeat at Chelsea. Yeah, can't can't quite put my finger on it. Interestingly, Villa have suddenly gone from a team that have been putting in 90-minute performances to seemingly one that uh, puts in a good 45 minutes and then a couple of extra minutes at the end just to make up for the mistakes of not turning up for the 40, other 45 minutes. We're playing badly and winning. We're getting the job done. Yeah, this kind of backs up what we said in the last podcast about the, we're starting to grind and uh, mm. getting through it. I mean, that the first goal, Sheffield Wednesday's first goal, when I saw that, I, just, I couldn't believe it. We've just spent the last couple of weeks praising Villa's new hardy defence and how's and Mings in the you know in the back and how Whelan's been shielding them and how mm. the, the fullbacks have stepped up. And that was like a vintage, dubious Villa defence defending goal where Mings was way out of position, came right across, got caught out by the, the cross ball and, you know, there was absolutely nobody there covering. It's and, poor from start to finish, isn't it? You see, you yeah, see the and, and I just thought, oh shit, the writing's on the wall here because we've we've had problems with Sheffield Wednesday uh, since we've been in the Championship, to be honest. Yeah, they were we our haven't... opening day uh, defeat, weren't they, when we got relegated? I thought that their opening goal was horrible to, to watch. It was sort of, it was so open, wasn't it? And... Uh... The question is, should should Mings commit himself in that position? Well, in the second half, we sort of saw where where when he when he gave away the penalty that he's we, we do look still vulnerable to that ball over us, don't we? Did you do you think? Yeah, the the, the back to front thing that's been the problem for a while, certainly in the the sort of the pre Christmas and over Christmas period. Quite ironic, really, that we you know Bruce was uh, one of his criticisms that was thrown his way at Villa was that you know this lack of being able to actually pass the ball and yet by lumping it against mm. Villa he actually got a bit of joy yeah yeah but uh, I mean in the second half the the defense completely you know made up for that uh, well, I thought there was a fantastic kind of tackle from from Neil Taylor as well yeah really really because, great I mean from well for pretty much 45 minutes uh, most of those players were getting their heads in the way you know arses in the way and Taylor's tackle I thought that was a definite goal Do you think we were showing a bit of fatigue when he was about to pull the trigger, uh, well, no, I don't think so, actually. So what you put it down to then, my, my view was that teams are going to have spells in games where they're on top. I mean... Yeah, give Bruce some credit. I mean, he, he put a man on Grealish and completely uh, nullified him. I mean, Grealish was a passenger yeah. for most of the game. I mean, uh, on in the stats count, normally Grealish is up there 85 to 100 touches, and he only had 57, which shows you how much uh, they kind of isolated him uh, out there. But... Did yes. did we not see a real Bruceism come well 
come that 90th minute, actually, where the, the telling run and pass comes from Grealish, where you, it never felt like the job was done all the time with Bruce. Do you know what I mean? Where, where, the, where the game was shut down or you were always at risk. And though, though Grealish only had those 57 touches, it was very telling when he, cause he sets up Kodja, who rifles off the shot, and then obviously Adoma. As you know, Bruce said in his post-match, it, when you've got players of quality, you only need a, that second. You can't really nullify somebody completely out of the game. Uh... Wednesday weren't... It, Steer wasn't diving all over the place. No. They didn't pepper the goal with shots or yeah. or hit the crossbar multiple times. It was a they had a lot of the ball, a lot of territory without really much cutting edge. And a similarly to sort of late on against Blackburn and a few other games, Villaras able to hold teams at arm's length. Mm. Yeah, and we and then one thing we'll always we always have in our back pocket is Villa have firepower. You know, to, to, we're always likely to score. Yeah, I mean, obviously the pivotal moment was uh, of, of the whole game. I think was the steer penalty save because Sheffield Wednesday were on top of us Mm. and it was getting to that situation where potentially when you, you know, you're under pressure, under pressure, something breaks and it, and that was you know giving away a penalty whether mm. it was the soft one it you know he's, he's made contact so you you, you kind you of see why it's it. given yeah mm. yeah exactly you, you expect it can't really complain but it's about a it. it's a big moment for steer you know i think he's we've certainly thrown at him in the last few weeks is that villa have been getting results but steer hasn't actually tended to have a lot to do well yeah he stepped up he could really yeah he really stepped up when he was needed i mean was it was it a good penalty no but it's a save that you know, he had to make and he made a good job of yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And that, that completely switched the momentum because there was a bit of a sense of inevitability <laughs> here. It, it, it seemed if you had yeah. to put your money on, which if there was going to be another goal or two, <laughs> <laughs> it was likely to be Sheffield Wednesday at that stage. But as as Dean Smith said uh, in his post-match uh, thoughts, uh, and, I, and I, I agree with him, I think he did bring on the substitutes a bit too late because we were ne- we needed something. We needed mm. some fresh mm. spark or you know, something to change the flow of the game. And so he brought Adoma on 71 minutes for Green, who had kind of lost his uh, imprint on the game. And then Kodja came on 82nd minute. And Smith said he did think he probably brought them both on a bit too uh, late. But you saw the impacts. I mean, Kodja straight away, Adoma, his impact initially was defending. Mm. And yeah, I think he got a decent yeah, header in very one stage. Codger, when his when his pineapple finally made a, an appearance, uh, there was that chance where I think he could have headed it into the oh, far grief, corner. The bicycle kick he attempted. <laughs> he he's, done that, a, he's done that a few times, hasn't he? And you're thinking, mate, fair enough if we're like ahead, but when we're like dying stages of the game, play the percentages for God's sake. Yeah, it's it just it was crying out for him to head it off his pineapple into the roof of the net. Wasn't it? <laughs> Fucking joke, man. And I, you know, I'm his friend, as you know, I'm his good friend. Yeah, <laughs> maybe uh, that's one of the, uh, you know, he gets that, he's in the barbers, he says, what haircut do you want? And he says that one. So he does it, and Kodja says to the barber, any tips on maintaining? And he said, uh, yeah, uh, no headers. <laughs> I mean, isn't it the role of a responsible barber to say, sir, I, I understand you want the pineapple, but... Uh... I understand you're a footballer, <laughs> and uh, it's... Ne- just look at the career of Jason Lee. It never really worked <laughs> out for him, so I wouldn't really recommend it, sir. I'm, so- I'm sorry, Mr. Danger, but in future, just ask yourself, in any of these big life decisions, what would Dan do? <laughs> I'd have the exactly. avocado. <laughs> Smashed. Uh, Adomar again, and, and this was quite interesting. I mean, in terms of karma, redemption, yeah. call it what you want. Steer obviously had it yeah. against Bruce yeah. because he was sent packing on on loan to Charlton, and then here he pops up out of nowhere and saves a penalty against Bruce's new team. And Adomar was doing the old man. <laughs> 
goal celebration. <laughs> which, Good lad. Good lad. Which is really sucking it to the SB. Just to clarify, it definitely was pointed at Bruce, was it not? Did Bruce basically say he's too old now it's time to go? Or was that a media thing? Well, no, he's, he, he, he seemed to have, I think he communicated to Adama that his, that his time was up, wasn't he? he was pra- and he was practically yeah. driven him to, to Middlesbrough. I think there's someone else as well who'd been... Uh, I mean, maybe perhaps not shipped out too prematurely, but, you know, Andre Green showed that he perhaps had the potential to be included, at least in the squad this season, rather than being shipped yeah. off. You know, a fantastic assist for McGinn's goal in the first half. By the way, gets that goal gets better with oh, every watch, because fan- that is a really finish. difficult ball to hit. It's a cracking finish. If you notice, in the last podcast, I was talking about Ming's diagonal ball. Mm. They're listening to you, Dave. They're listening. Exactly. Then Smith actually admitted, he said, it's something they worked on, and basically just to make that ball a bit longer, a bit more direct. And, I mean, it's really stretched green. I mean, he just got to the ball. He did very well to get that across, and, and it was a smart finish. Quite quite literally, my old man said, switch it. Switch it. <laughs> Let's go a bit more direct with the switch, because he seems to drop it on a sixpence. As I, as I mentioned last time, I, I just used that word sixpence again. Just yeah, What is this currency? <laughs> just to trigger memories. <laughs> Because I we had the sixpence debate in the last podcast, but uh, I just wanted to trigger your memory that I did actually say this. But yeah, no, but it made it actually makes sense because he he can launch it, but with pinpoint precision. Mm. So uh, he was really doing it as a switch. He was mm. switching, you know, flanks, and it was just you know just going over the halfway line. But if you ping it up there and get the winger to run onto it, then suddenly you've you've broken. It's a very hard ranks. ball to defend, actually. Yeah. I mean, if you just pump it straight up, then it's it's easier to head out. But when it's going diagonally, then it catches the, the centre-backs out completely. Well, it negates them out of the conversation. Well, and, and everyone's facing the wrong way. You know, the way that Green manages to cut the ball back, at, there's, there's nothing finer than seeing John McGinn run onto that with the inside yeah. of his boot and the, the out-curling strike that he manages to... Very, very nice. I do like that. Yeah, I, I think I shouted, get in your cunt. <laughs> <laughs> That's normally my line. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know where that came from. I think that was the pressure of the situation, knowing that you really needed to get a result here. It just made me, made me want to rush out and deep fry a bloody Mars bar. I was so happy for him. But uh, <laughs> douse him in iron brew. <laughs> Because at that point, it was looking more like we were going to lose the game than get anything. So you'd have, you know, even a, taken a draw to a certain extent, especially the way the results went uh, after the game. To get a winner was sensational. Yes. And it was well worked. And Codger actually uh, was instrumental in it. I mean, it was a decent enough shot yeah, yeah. hit with enough power f- for the keeper yeah. to parry it rather than just gather it. And when the ball spilled out, I, I didn't think Adamar had the angle to get it no, in. No, it wasn't but, a good uh, angle, was it? But the old man, tremendous, and uh, cue limbs, cue scenes. And then Abraham's was, was uh, that was basically just a fuck you. <laughs> yeah, Joe, it was a great finish, but I didn't think he had a good game at all. I think he was really, he really struggled to contribute anything over the 90, I thought, Abraham. But what a, you know, great, great end goal. But it showed you that he can actually make goals out of nothing. Because when, re- when he received the ball, you just thought, well, this, you know, this is going nowhere. He'll just run down the clock or something. And then it was a quick turn and away we went. He's got that, um, in, not in not in the attributes type way in terms of Benteke, but Benteke always had a goal in him from quite unpredictable, you know. And as, as, as Abraham was overrunning the, sorry, the pass had been played across the front of the goal, hadn't it? And you just thought, oh, well, you know, like you say, he'll run this into the corner. It didn't seem possible that he'd get his uh, praying mantis leg <laughs> onto the ball, <laughs> least of all turn the guy. And then and then there's like a crowd of players in, well, he's not going to get it through there. And he does. And that's the... Yeah, I don't think Abraham's as technically as 
good as Benteke, but I think he's got more enthusiasm and more effort, and he fights more. I think Abraham, as a few pundits have said, it was the same with actually the winning goal that Adoma could have squared it. He's always there. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, is. he reads the game so well, and he's always in a position where he might get a chance, mm. and more often than not, you know, he does. I don't think he's scored from outside the box, has he? No, he hasn't, no. Oh, just one more thing about the injury time, uh, the goals. I mean, the fantastic thing was Wigan also scoring uh, pretty much yes. the same time as when Adoma scored. And that was unlikely. I mean, I think they were ahead against Bristol City. But yeah, they think, took the lead, didn't they? The world you were the thinking, goal. yeah, there's, you know, Bristol City will get something out of this. And then suddenly Bristol City are 2-1 and you think, yeah, that's that's that. Done and done and dusted. Meanwhile, Derby were having a firefight with Brentford. Obviously, ended three three. So you're content with that, but you just thought Bristol City would have had it because we know it's going to be a battle when they come to Villa Park if they're you know three or so points ahead of us. But this suddenly made that game a lot more interesting. Their form when, when Wigan equalised. Uh, form has been the telling thing. Is that 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 that, 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 that the last week's results really bring it together but I think you just look at the collapse of Middlesbrough has, has also come at a time where Derby and Bristol have only won two of their last six you know it's for the yeah. first time something I've been banging and banging and banging on about is going on these long not unbeaten runs but long winning runs because it, it just drives teams into into submission almost that they can't we had seven wins on the trot last season mm. And people forget about that. I saw somebody on social media. Oh, this! When's the last time this ever <laughs> happened? Last <laughs> uh, <must> year. <laughs> but uh, I think our. our um... But it didn't. It didn't feel like it last year, did it? I can't remember this elation. No. Or am I wrong? Have I got a short memory? I, I think it's it's good to have selective memory when when following this football club. But I, I think at this point, you know, we we would not be where we are now without. You know, it was a mere matter of weeks ago that we were worried about this season becoming complete dead rubber. And yeah. it's only turned around because an absolute, I mean, unprecedented upturn in form from where we were, really. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. You know, um, yeah, and it was it was the stars aligning was obviously Grealish absolutely. coming back, but it was you know people are saying oh it's all all down to that well it's not it's, it was the defence suddenly coming together but having a few games like House and uh, Mings together just to establish mm. themselves and Taylor bedding in Elmo 
bedding in. I think McGinn's Whelan, Whelan finding his role, and then it just worked as a unit. Mm-hmm. And with Grealish coming in and actually carrying the ball and giving us a bit of a, a point of attack or a starting point, it suddenly all gelled and made sense. I mean, we we watched the training at Bodymore, and I was impressed by the this. We were look, watching the end of the training, and the tempo was very, you just thought how that higher than you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. In just let's say a training game, it's like wow, this is actually. Uh, and the conditions were be, dreadful. I know I'm repeating myself for yeah. the benefit of, of people who don't didn't get the patrons podcast, but it was it was <laughs> it wasn't a leisurely training session, was it? No, and you were like, whoa. Hang on a minute, because you're thinking this is the end, a bit of a wind down, you know. They were kicking the shit out of Grealish. <laughs> yeah, Abraham and Grealish were going for each yeah. other, weren't they, on numerous yeah. occasions? No, it was quite funny. And then uh, at the end, when they were kicking the ball really high in the sky, I think they were doing it to try to hit one of us. Mm. And the players were obviously, you know, trying to trap it as well, pretending that that was what they were doing. But I think the agenda was to take a few of the uh, civilians out. But uh, but no, so when I, th- I thought they would come out of the traps against Sheffield Wednesday and blow them away... I think that was potentially the game plan. But Bruce, to his credit, did stifle us a little bit. And then in the second half, and this is, you know, this happened against Blackburn as well on our own patch. We we seemed to lose our direction mm. and we, we were giving the ball away so cheaply. And you're thinking about this is very much still a work in progress, this Villa team, in terms of how Smith wants them to play. So we're not there yet. But the good thing is our mistakes and our uh, weaknesses are not, they haven't crippled us in any way. We're, we're still winning. Well, I noticed when we, when we were watching the back end of that training session, they were probably playing on what, maybe an eighth of the size of a football pitch, but they were playing a, almost a full game on it, weren't they? And it was, it, you can't appreciate the close control. And, and that's something that I think that to pick up on your point about, I think that still we're quite wasteful on the ball. We saw it the second half against Sheffield Wednesday. I know it's different because yeah. it's, you know, training is one thing and you're coming up against, you know, an opposition that's that's going to, you know, test all of those things and there's some unknowns about them. But I was really, I think I walked away, you know, I've said what I've said about the conditions, but I walked away thinking like this is a team that's trying to better itself and it seems like there's a plan, you know, you can see what, yeah. if those are our shortcomings, we're working on them and working really hard at them as well. It's like it's like we're having pre-season as we're going yeah, along. Yeah, yeah. And and this, this is one of the, re- I mean, obviously there's, there's a reason why I want Villa to get promoted, but one of the, side reasons is because it allow it will allow Smith to keep certain players McGinn Grealish potentially Mings mm. and so he can continue on this uh, this education and you know we'll, we'll we'll get a few in obviously but at least we'll have the core still mm. there who have, who know the ethos and know what we're trying to do and what we add to that group will be basically a better quality to allow us to play this way you know in, in a more proficient manner you can see a team that's got belief as well can't yeah. you yeah no the, the players actually as a bunch were uh, getting on very well and and this considering a lot of these players are loans mm. and you know, they some of them obviously. You know, Abraham knows Grealish from uh, a few years back, but a lot of them, and you know, Al is uh, fitting in and you know, eager to be a member of the group. Mings and you know, House are, are like seem to be good buddies off the pitch as well. And you know, I was surprised actually by you know, I, I just thought actually I, I like this team, and I don't say that about many Villa teams. <laughs> no. I think they're a, they're a unit, and they're all they're, all, they're 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 pushing in the same direction. I think they. I'm sure um, Smith had said, was it Stoke, I think he mentioned at half-time, just simply saying, you need to be a collective unit here. There's far too many people who are kind of putting themselves in the shop window yeah. for their own good rather than the good of the Villa. And it's, it would appear since then, because the second half against Stoke, they were vastly improved and they've really gone through the gears. You know, It's just this thing, as we've said the last few weeks, this momentum and 
belief in the team that actually we've got good players. You, you know, we've been saying this all season in yeah. different guises of the team, but this version of the team now is very different to the one pre-Christmas in that that team as we said on numerous occasions, couldn't play badly and get a result. Yeah. This team can, you know, sort of stumble over the line a little bit against Blackburn. We can go to Sheffield Wednesday, who were, you know, banging form. I think were they 10 unbeaten, I believe. I think 12, uh, I think. Yeah. Go there and get the win. Now, that's how you achieve things in, in football. You, you aren't going to be at your fluid best every week. And as Dan said, you know, you have to sometimes just hold your hands up and, mm. you know, Steve Bruce is that wily old manager who knows how to shut a game down and spoil and get yeah. the job done. And he kind of did and just say, okay, do you know what? That was one game, but we've come through that test and we came through the Blackburn test mm. and the, you know, the, the the Blues away one and Forest. You know, we've gone to some quite difficult places and had a lot thrown at us as a, as a unit and actually come through it very well. So, Mr. Bud. And sorry, this is uh, me and Mr. Bird from the future. Uh, We've now just got rid of Dan Rogers because we are now reporting in from the Rotherham game. And he's too busy partying in his pants. He's probably in bed. Question, what was the crazier result? The Sheffield Wednesday one, the injury time win, or this this one at the New York Stadium? I'd say the the Rotherham win. Yeah, because... It looked like it was going tits up. It really it looked, looked like, it, like I mean, looked it's, like it's, it was going typical Villa. It was one of those typical Villa moments, wasn't it? When you think you know you've you've missed the penalty and you think, oh no, here we go, and then the then you get the penalty against you, then you get the red card, and then they bury it. And you think, oh god, and and not only that, that you've you've just gone to that trouble of scoring two goals in injury time in the game before away from home to uh, really you know get the get the promotion playoff bus on on the road and running at full speed and then suddenly you think oh we're not going to you know balls us up and take it to the wire because actually we're in a position uh well now obviously that we've beaten Rotherham a good result against Bristol and uh we're, we're kicking for home and, and we're leaving a bit of a gap already which could serve as well when it comes to the last two games where we might not actually need to win any of the two games we might just need a draw or something yeah so obviously coming off the, the back of Blackburn beating Derby 2-0 yeah that was a bonus Playoff position looked a little bit more rosy potentially for Villa if they got the you know the positive result at Rotherham, which they did. Now you've got the five point gap with daylight. With with you know all of a sudden you've actually got daylight. Uh, you know Middlesbrough getting a result pulls them back into it. Um, Derby have got to play Bristol. And they've got to go yeah. to St Andrews and Blues seem to have just turned the corner. Yeah, no, they're always a stick, sticky bunch to uh, get points yeah. off at St Andrews. But anyway, b- back to the game. Back to yeah. the game. Tammy Abraham's penalty probably summed up the casual nature of how Villa were playing. Because, you know, after that's, that win against Sheffield Wednesday, you're probably feeling a bit uh, immortal. That this this win's going to just keep on going on and on. And they, they would have probably looked at Rotherham on paper and just thought, bottom three, this is probably going to be an easier game. And their eyes were really on that, what you could dub a uh, playoff quarterfinal against Bristol City. Yeah. And they kind of lost themselves at the start. They did didn't seem to have that. Well, I think that open and exchanges are all right, but you know, Rotherham were offering up. You know, Steer had a couple of saves at the start. I think Rotherham would have obviously come into it off the back of the their victory against Forest, thinking we can. That's kind of like the bonus win. We can really kind of go for broke against Villa and try and get something. Yeah. Which it looked, you know, especially when they took the lead. I kind of feared second half they'd come out and go. Do you know what? We're going to go for it here. And I think because Villa got the early goal, it, and then I think the second, you know, the Grealish goal, which is a superbly constructed goal, would have probably knocked the stuffing out of them. Let's just go through it. Go through it a bit slowly. The, the penalty, uh, the first penalty. What was he doing? I think he was expecting the keeper to go the other way and then suddenly the keeper hadn't gone and he was like, oh shit, 
I'm in the middle of just tapping this in the corner. He was already, he was already in motion. Yeah, if, I'm, if I remember rightly, I think most of Abraham's penalties this year, he sent the keeper the wrong way, hasn't he? He's kind of given him the eyes, waited for them to go and just rolled it in the yeah. other corner. This one, the goalie went quite early and it was almost like, oh, as you said, oh shit, right. He didn't do either really. He could have just blasted it um, high like, like Codger did, which was a superbly taken one. And then... Or put it the other way. He kind of didn't do either. It was all a bit casual. Yeah, and it kind of caught him. But it also that that was kind of symbolic of uh, perhaps some of the players' kind of attitude at that point. I mean, it, at that point, I must admit, I was thinking, well, yeah, it's, it's probably uh, we're going to be scoring goals in the second half here. They're going to need a bollock in at half time to get them into this game. Yeah, and we've been kind of spluttering in bits and pieces of games the last couple of weeks, haven't we? You know, the second half against Blackburn, I thought we were kind of shaky at times. They had moments at Sheffield Wednesday where they were under the cosh and the same against Rotherham where, you know, you, you can't always play beautiful, you know, expansive football. Sometimes you just have to grind it out and get the result. And that was something yeah. we've, we've thrown at Dean Smith teams. Well, I mean, before he came to Villa, but especially since he's been at Villa, that can this Villa, Villa team play badly and get the result. Well, the last couple of weeks, they've shown they can. Yeah, but saying that, you didn't really expect Rotherham to have a chance of winning this game. Uh, you, perhaps no. the, perhaps they could get a draw. I said uh, on the on the segment that, that this is actually replacing, that uh, Rotherham had had three wins out of the last six games and they were lively. And, and before the, uh, the midweek fixtures, they were one point off safety. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're wagging the tail still. But as soon as they get a penalty and a man sent off, the double punishment, then you thought, ah, actually, uh, they've got a chance of this. I mean, a lot of Villa fans, I think, uh, from just glancing on social media, were just sort of, I mean, it always happens. When you go down to 10 men, everybody thinks it's game over. But when you look at player for player, we're, we're far superior. I mean, I'm not just, you know, with all due respect to Rotherham, we have got one of the best teams and some of the best players in the league. And the and the and the you know the, the quality that we can bring off the bench, which to be fair to yeah. pretty much anybody in the league, no one has our squad depth. And Smith, you know, he didn't think, oh shit, we've got to hang on here and probably snatch a goal like you know, let's say previous managers mentioning no names would have done. But the good thing was was the positivity that Dean Smith uh, brought into reacting to going down to ten men when he pretty much went four three two. Yeah, went to bringing, front. bringing Codger on. I thought was a masterstroke because one thing Codger does do is occupy defences. I mean, he can yeah. hold the ball up, uh, not that he's holding it up to lay it off, but he's holding the ball up and he's occupying three or four players and, and he becomes a nuisance. Well, he gets you on the front foot, doesn't he, as well? Exactly, and it gives you a bit of time for to get you know extra support up there that's not actually there because of position, because obviously uh, you're, you're missing a man. And uh, it was positive rather than uh, just you know doing the normal hanging on routine. And the fulcrum of it all, the pivot, was was John McGinn. He was sensational. I think John uh, Dean Smith said uh, in his post-match that he, you know, he thought there was two John McGinns on the pitch and that's exactly what it looked like because he could be in a tussle with two players. You put your money on McGinn coming out of it with the ball. We, you know, we talk about him so much every week and you, you don't get bored of it because he's just every week you watch the guy and he's so enjoyable to watch home or away yeah. and you know, we, we've, we've said this numerous times, haven't we, that even when he has a, a relatively bad game in terms of influencing the game, he still gets stuck in, you still get a a shift from him and you know, he, he was great on the ball he's brilliant off it and the amount of running and energy he gives you in the middle of the park you know, in hindsight now we can look back and say that two game ban when he got it was probably the best thing that happened to his season I mean he's got this low centre of gravity he can spin and change direction really quickly actually reminds me of my sister's dog <laughs> oh good <laughs> which is a Hungarian pulley which is well known for just changing direction on a sixpence managed to slip that one in well done yeah 
and uh, no, he's, he's just, he is sensational in terms of how he can twist and turn and get out of. Uh, you know, he, he sometimes he's surrounded by a couple of players, sometimes three, and he manages to get out of jail. Uh, well, he holds the ball. He holds the ball up himself, doesn't he? For things like set yeah. plays, when you've got a throw in, you're pretty confident you aren't just going to lump it down the line. You actually can give put it into his feet, and he'll hold the ball up. He's, and he's just got this tenacity as well, which I mean, he get picks up. Obviously, the odd yellow card here and there, but it's uh, I don't mind. It's kind of, it's I, fun, I don't. Get it's fun to watch. I mean, I do laugh to myself watching him sometimes because he's you know he's kind of remarkable it's just like a kid isn't it who just constantly wants to be involved it's really yeah. ref- it's really refreshing give me Mil- james milner was a little bit like that give me the ball give me the ball yeah give me the ball. Or, or he'd get in he wants to tackle everyone he wants to run everywhere he'd kind of follow the ball yeah. about a bit yeah it's um especially when and, you're down to 10 men you know you'd need a player like that uh codger i thought had a good game uh, i mean we just mentioned him uh, in passing there but uh probably his best game of the most influential game in the season because without him i don't think we'd have won that game no and, and it's i'm really pleased for him now that he, yeah, he got you know he got his goal and i think he, could, he had a couple of other chances and he you know he put a Generally, put a shift in. He allowed us to take the game to Rotherham despite being down a down a man. I think Grealish was a bit sloppy sometimes in parts, but uh, in the end, I mean that the goal was hilarious because uh, Elmo, when he played it back, you thought, "What are you doing?" Yeah, just put your laces <laughs> through it. He, he kind of played it straight back when you ex- when you're expecting him to, as you say, put his laces through it and have a pop. And Grealish probably a bit caught by surprise initially, but. Uh, dispatched it beautifully oh it's just it's just a really well crafted goal you know you wind the video back further and further and obviously Grealish starts in his own half and the way he, get, he takes I think it's about three or four men out the ball is out of the game with a little yeah sort of pirouette little one two on the touchline and then he's, he's at the back four and when it gets you know when it comes to him around the penalty spot there's only going to be one ending there and he buried it. Yeah, like McGinn, he's got a different kind of uh, movement, but it's his balance and the, and the way he turns uh, also really takes kind play. of glides, doesn't he? Yeah, McGinn just takes, sort of trundles, takes the opposition out of the game. Yeah, or, or you or you have to foul him, don't you? That's the thing, Grealish, because he's stronger now. If you're going to get near yeah. him, you have to foul him. I mean, it was like the same for the you know for our penalty. Their their defenders just dived in. It was a stupid tackle, and the same when he's you know, when he's running with the ball. The only way to stop him sometimes is to foul him. Yeah. But the odd loose pass, but uh, I mean, Horahan was all right. He had, had a couple of chances actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he you know, decent all, chances. All the, um, all the guys that came in, they all did a job. And I thought Twanzabi had a good game, and he'll he'll do. You know, he'll be better for getting ninety minutes under his belt. I'm sure because you know the squad depth needs to be there. You know, it's, it was important to rest a few people and give the likes of Whelan a rest. Yeah. Obviously, Hawes wasn't fit. Green needed a rest. You know, Mings he'll be out for Saturdays. I mean, the first yellow for Mings is, is silly, really, to get involved in that. And then the, the second one, it kind of is what it is, unfortunately. I'll do him good to uh, spend a, a game out since he has given away a penalty in both our last games. I did like his reaction coming on the pitch at full time, though. You know, it seems like there's a real yeah. togetherness around the squad, which... Um, He's just acting. He's just acting. He's a good actor, then. <laughs> But no, Yedinak, I thought was solid. He, he he had a couple of key headers out, and both fullbacks were were very good, and and still managed to get forward and force the issue despite being down to ten men. Because normally they'd be tucking in and just uh, trying to hold out. Yeah, so our, um, all good. All everyone was uh, everybody deserves a round. Yeah, of it was a real team there, performance, but... and it was one of those ones where you know at two one with sort of you know fifteen ten minutes to go, you think this is where you manage the game and. This is where them being well drilled and the stuff we saw when we went to the training ground and the ability to pop it around really comes into play against a team like Rotherham. Yeah. Villa, Villa were very good on the ball at, 
and they've become very good on the ball really since Grealish has come back at controlling the tempo of the game and that's important they, and that's the sign of a good side but the goal was uh, was an example of two or three of those kind of moves quick passing and just you know that let's say there are seven or eight defenders in that box and only three or four Villa players up the passing was so slick that they uh, they took took their you know took their defenders out of the game uh, yeah, and and the pace that easily. it happens out of course as well you know Villa it's all very well you know just t- sort of tick attack and knocking it around yeah. in front of the you know in front of their um, along the back line but Villa can actually play through teams and this is one of the big differences from watching Villa over the last you know various teams over the last ten years is the speed of the passing and and the intent of the passing yeah, yeah. and well. the and the ball carrying of course as well you know Grealish McGinn yeah. can carry the ball. Abraham can Kodjikan. and that was key being a, a man down that they needed to carry the ball to beat a man to you know instantly take a man out was uh, we never looked like we were you know we were chasing the game with uh, one less player it seemed that Dean Smith had a distinct plan how to do it as we said you know going 4-3-2 cuz you know at the end of the day wingers can be redundant a lot of the times they can be the- they can be passengers i mean we've said this about some of our wingers at times this year and our has yeah. gone missing or um balassi if you look at touch counts wing- wingers is way down from obviously center midfield so that obviously played on uh Smith's mind because sometimes like if you play with two up front the instinct is to take one of the forwards off straight away and just play with one up front so you regain your defensive shape you just you just become a bit impotent when it comes to attacking but Smith decided to get you know get rid of one of the wingers and uh, still have that attacking threat which was very very good because in the you know the the wider context we want to win this game so uh this is refreshing to see and uh it, you know it has to hold well for the future on the flip side i don't think rotherham really had a plan how to play how can we take advantage of this 10 men i don't think they had a long-term plan like let's tire them out and you know catch them at the end i mean steer made a you know a very good save which you know you ne- when you go away from home you're never going to have it all your own way but i think relatively speaking for you know for 10 men away from home i think we held them at arm's length pretty well and controlled the ball well and you know it's a job you know after a pretty disaster a disastrous first half was followed by a, a very very professional second half performance yeah and ultimately we were under more pressure against Sheffield Wednesday uh, when we had 11 men I would yeah. say in the in the balance right it's all looking rosy now the next game will be against Bristol City who are right up our asses in the league table just very quickly do you fancy this game? In a nutshell, we're a Mings down. They've had an extra day's uh, rest. And also, we've obviously played about 50 minutes with 10 men. So they've got a lot of advantages in their favour. And obviously, they've I think they've won three of the last four against the top six teams. I mean, they've beaten Yeah, they've recently, they've recently went to Sheffield United and won, Middlesbrough and won, and just and tore West Brom apart in 20 minutes. So, yeah. um, I think they'll be confident, but there's no reason why Villa can't be. I think they might come at us early doors. To be brutally honest, I think... If, if Bristol turn up and be open, I think that suits Villa better anyway. Yeah, these you know, teams who've come to Villa Park and tried to be quite expansive. Um, I remember they did it last year, didn't they? They, they were still trying to attack Villa when they were two 0 down and got absolutely yeah, I think, obliterated. I think that both teams will be thinking, well, actually, uh, a draw's not so bad. I think Villa not now. Yeah, not now with with the way the results have gone this week. You know, results are always going to swing, but Villa will look a little bit if they look a bit further ahead and think, do you know what? We've got Bolton away again. We we would really want to go and get a, a win in, and then Millwall at home, which is a tricky one. But I think Villa will be Villa will be looking at in the back of the heads of both teams. Like a draw will not be a bad result for both of them because I think both of them are looking now thinking, well, I think they, you know we're both going to qualify for the playoffs here. And actually, they potentially let's say we finish fifth, we take on the baggies. I think Bristol, the way they've been playing, whoever's going to 
be They'll third. They'll give him a game. Whoever's third's going to be pretty deflated. And Bristol at the moment are beating teams home or away. They don't care. So uh, it's very dangerous. So we could be playing them in the final. It could be a dress rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. That would be uh, something. But to be honest, if we're going to go to the final, I wouldn't mind playing Leeds there just for the, the spectacle, so to speak. Yeah. Everyone, everyone will fear Villa. And I think there's in plenty, you know, all the sides there will be confident they can do a, you know, get the job done. Yeah, shame there's not another 10 games to go on top of what's left. Uh, then we could still be looking at the title now we are fully it, charged. What, though, it, it gets interesting at the weekend if, if uh, the Baggies drop points and Villa win, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, down to a one-point gap. The only real difference will be uh, just having that second leg at Villa Park if it is the the Baggies and Villa. Mm -hmm. Right, please do uh, give us a review if you listen on iTunes. Uh, Say what you want, but give us five stars. Uh, Follow on iTunes, follow on Spotify, and uh, whatever method you listen to. And if you really want to support us, buy a My Old Man Said t-shirt with the podcast cover on the front of it because uh, apparently they're lucky aren't they they are very lucky that guy's got to wear it every game now just just saying just saying just saying yeah the more luck we have uh, maybe these t-shirts can power us to the premier league that's what we're saying or also you can become a my old man said patron as mentioned earlier on in the show or even a my old man said facebook supporter right until the championship playoff quarterfinal against bristol city as it is now dubbed on this show it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye, goodbye. my old man said The thing about Rotherham is, although they're in the bottom three, they're only a, they're only a point off, and they've they've won three, lost three, haven't they? The last six, but they've, they've picked up a couple of results. They've obviously got a big win on at the weekend against yeah. uh, Forest, so they'll be they'll be plucky potentially. Let's say they're still lively, so we can't underestimate them. We've got to go full force because at the end of the day, <laughs> three points is full force. <laughs> right, Fulham. That's Fulham's hashtag. <laughs> With your clapper did they get rele- Did they get relegated? They did, them and their just, clappers. Just, just a little bit. Only a little bit, though. Hashtag full, full force. force. Full <laughs> force down before Easter. Full <laughs> force. Uh, we've got to get promoted. Because A, it's time the Barcelona of the Midlands took on Wolves in a clash. The fucking Espanol of the Midlands. We're the Barcelona <laughs> of the Midlands. Fuck yeah, no, that's no, what I'm, I'm saying. No, I'm just emphasising they're, the point. Of, yeah. The stupid goddamn WWE masks. I mean, they are. They're just the just Portuguese dogheads, basically, <laughs> with that wear Mexican wrestling <laughs> matches. I mean, you know. I mean, that was shit. That is shit. On any day of the week, even if you're 4-0 up, it's rubbish. Uh, the T-shirt underneath your shirt to pull up with a message, fair enough, not, not a problem. But having little props behind the goal... <laughs> Ready to go. It's so controlled. If I was the keeper, I'd be stamping on and ripping up whatever's put behind my goalpost. If I was the keeper, I'd go and hand it to him at full time. Go, you might want to put that back on. <laughs> to walk out with the mask of shame. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.